where you remember the first time you uh, memorized a scripture passage. I think sometimes our memory is uh, prior to that, our memorization is prior to that. I can still remember the days in elementary school learning the math facts, or I should have learned the math facts. That's probably more the case for many of us, right? Do you remember those days? I mean, I, I remember the, the pop quizzes that would, I didn't even know what it was back then, but probably gave me anxiety, you know? It's all those things that, of work, of memorization. How about the spelling tests? Those lists of words across all the subject matters, and the teacher would always pick the most obscure ones, I thought, <laughs> right? And then you'd have to memorize them, and it's like memorizing Heilgeschichte, and if you want to know what that means, you can talk to me later. So, but it's like words like that. How, how, how about those classes with lists in it, right? Those uh, bones and skeletal structures, all of those things. So let me ask you this question. What has been the most difficult thing for you to memorize ever in your life? Was it the math facts? Uh, Social security number, phone numbers, another language. Take a moment, turn to your neighbor, tell them what it was. What comes to your mind initially? What was the most difficult thing to memorize? Yeah, we all have probably, even those of us who have photographic memory, there's probably something that we have difficult. Mine were, uh, was another language, not necessarily the root of the languages, but the prefixes and suffixes, suffixes and the tenses that go with them. Uh, English is uh, irregular at best, but other languages uh, have all of these tenses, and they were very difficult. But let's look at what memorize means. It's very interesting. If you look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it says this. It says this, to memorize is to commit to memory, which makes sense, right? It's great when they use the word to define the word. But this is the other part of it that I found very, very interesting, to learn by heart. Did you catch it? I mean, it is a crazy definition, right? Something to put into your brain that you recall with your mind. Now figure that one out. And it's learned by heart. I think they're onto something. Something that they didn't even know that they were onto. As much as scripture can be a great poetic, great poetic literature or a historical document and even a moral guidebook amongst many other things, we read in the library of manuscripts, we call the Word of God, it is, almost, it is ultimately a place that we have been thinking about where we dwell by immersing ourselves as followers of Jesus to be formed into his likeness by the power of the Spirit. Last week we learned about divine reading or Electio Divina, which is is just this prayerful immersion into Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to illumine, to show us words or phrases as we repeat walking through the Scripture collectively or individually. And this is 
quite a relational reading of the text. I mean, you get intimate. It is not a passing for information. It is like, Jesus, show me what's there, right? And it allows it to wash over not only our minds, but our hearts and our souls. Well, what we find in the Old Testament are these commands uh, that were given in Deuteronomy 6. It's a crazy thing uh, that happens. Here's Moses. He's about ready to take the people into the, toward the promised land. And he says, he is told this by the Lord. These are the commands and decrees and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach, to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, to obey so that all may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God your, of your ancestors promised you. And verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. I think Merriam-Webster got it right. They're supposed to be, this idea of memorization are supposed to be written onto our hearts. Impress them on your children. Not exasperate your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And we know that in Judaism, that's exactly what they did. They tied them on their hands, they put them on their heads, and then they put them on their doorposts. These commands, the Old Testament, these words of God were to be a part of who they are. They're, it was to be oozing out of them, not something they casually walked into once in a while. We, as we think about diving in and being deeply formed by Scripture in the practice of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, we have to kind of consider what was Jesus doing? How was this formed in him? Meaning the word of God. The Mishnah describes the educational process for a young Jewish boy in Jesus' time. Uh, by the way, the Mishnah is a collection of oral traditions and, uh, and written works kind of demonstrating what was happening during that time. At five years old, uh, one is fit for scripture. That means that they start learning scripture at five years old. At 10 years old, the Mishnah, that oral, uh, the oral Torah interpretations, uh, says that they, they begin, at, uh, begin to keep moving into the, uh, the, the oral tradition. And at 13, for the fulfilling of the commandments, they, they begin to memorize them. At 15, the Talmud they begin to move into rabbinic interpretations of the scripture. So they have it learned so well that they can start to recite it and give it back. At 18, this is uh, for uh, boys generally. At 18, they're ready for, as it says, the bride chamber. At 20, they're pursuing a vocation. At 30, they have authority to teach others. So we're watching, you're listening to the progression of how things are happening. This is what happens with Jesus. This is 
clearly describes the exceptional student when they get to 30 and then they can give it away. This description is an interesting life parallel to Jesus. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus went through. As a little boy, uh, it stated that Jesus grew in wisdom, Luke 2, 5, 2. And he reached the fulfilling of the commandments in Luke 2, 4, 41. If you can look there. And then he learned to trade at Matthew 13 and Mark 6. He spent time with John the Baptist and he began his ministry at about what age? 30 is what we believe. So we're, we're seeing this historical document, document what Jesus went through himself. If we're to pattern our lives after Jesus and his way, this is our way. I, f- I find it rather interesting in Luke chapter 2 that uh, we love this passage of scripture coming out of the birth narrative, right? Uh, it says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover when he was 12 years old. Again, marking back to that historical uh, pin, if you will. They were up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, what was he doing? He was discussing scripture with the rabbis with the scholars with the the rulers of that time the uh, or the uh, religious rulers of the time it's interesting what is said when they find him where he was at says why were you searching for jesus says why were you searching for me he asked didn't you know i had to be in my father's house i mean he knew that it was to be about the scriptures and the scriptures echoed what was going on This was a part of a developing boy or girl. Up to about certain age, the girls were involved in memorizing the Torah too. In fact, most of them had it memorized. They just didn't keep going on because of the system that was there. Large portions were memorized, and it is likely, it is said, that many students knew the entire Torah by memory, and by this time, of the level of education was finished. So we're talking about uh, uh, about 10 years old. Can you imagine? 10 years old having the first five books of your Bible memorized. And they would move on. Within the structure of the Jewish educational system, memorization of the Torah and, pro- uh, Torah and the prophets came along later was essential. What about us? How do we view scripture? How do we see it as, as followers of Jesus? Do, do we think that memorization is key to our dwelling within the way of Jesus and dwelling within scripture? I think as followers of Jesus and out of a love for God, and a love for all people and following Jesus together, we should cherish the word that we have in much the same way. We should be about the same practices or similar, very similar practices in our home, meaning around our dinner table, about when we're walking, when we're going around. Scripture should just kind of start to bubble up within us. Even if it's not memorized word for word, it should start to bubble up within us so that we then start to press in, impress it on those who are with, not just our children. I think this is crucial for us as followers. 
So not only do we have devotional opportunities like the Lectio Divina to, to dwell into, but we have some mechanical, some rote opportunities to allow the Word of God to dwell deeply within us. And it's just simply the mechanics of memorization. I love our passage that was read earlier today because it can go a lot of different ways, but let's walk through Romans chapter 12. If you have it open, you can look at it there or you can look at it on the screen. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I think, knowing just a little bit of Paul's uh, eagerness about the Lord, he probably didn't want to kind of go, hey, you know, you just have to, you have to come to this on your own. You have to kind of come to this place where you want to surrender on your own. I think he probably wanted and may have wanted to say, hey, look, you need to offer your bodies, but he doesn't. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. He doesn't command. He, he encourages just as Jesus would want them. And just as he, we, he encourages you now, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. What's God's mercy? God's mercy is that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to vacate a grave, so that you can live and have eternal life. God's mercy is extended to you. And he says, oh, now it's time to offer your bodies to him. Now, think about the sacrifices that they would have maybe walked through historically. Were they living sacrifices? No, but they may have been living when they went into the temple, but they weren't living when they came out of the temple, right? So this idea of having a living sacrifice is fairly new for them. I mean, it's a new idea. So a biblical sacrifice is now, at this point when Paul is writing, is is a living sacrifice. He says, look, you know, it used to be that we'd take in a sacrifice and we'd kill it and it would take care of our you know, atone for us. But now it's, it's opportunity. Jesus did it once and for all, for all for us. And now we have the opportunity to live in this way as a response to the gift. So Paul leans in and leverages this redemptive gift that has been given to anybody who says yes to Jesus. He says our response is to offer our bodies. Now, this is highly uh, irregular for the moment. And even in our day, this is a high, highly irregular um, well, request of someone. Uh, we're taught that our minds and our bodies are separate. They were taught that then. They were starting to get into the, the Greek system, which was separating the mind and the body. And Paul's like, no, saying, no, the, they go together. I bring this up not to linger long because it has so many implications in our day in so many different ways. But you need to give this great and serious thought. That when Paul urges us to offer our bodies, our bodies are our whole being, our mind, our bodies, our souls. He says to give it to Jesus, we are to do that. We're to give it to Jesus as an offering, a living sacrifice. 
He goes on. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. The idea that we are to not to conform to the pattern of this world is, is for their day and just as ours. But the interesting thing, he says, the way that it's done is not through any other way except through the mind. It starts in the mind. So our formation into the way of Jesus is initiated in our minds. We have to say, yes, there has to be an allowance. We have to be, uh, give, <laughs> give ourselves to it. And it starts here. Oftentimes when we're separated in mind and body, we think that there's an emotional side that we, we can give, but our minds are separate. That's what he's getting to. He's saying that both of them are connected and our minds have to be engaged in what we're giving ourselves to. And when we give ourselves to something, Jesus or anything else, we're not giving it, we're, we're giving it to that thing. It allows us, as scripture says, to discern what is good, what is pleasing to God, and that we can be renewed in that way. Why is this so vastly important in our day and age? Why is it so important that our minds are engaged in the scripture that we're reading and engaged in what we're doing, even outside of scripture? I think it's this, the continual flow of information is formational. The continual flow of information is formational. So let me ask you, where do you spend the majority of your time? What do you spend the majority of your time doing? And how is it forming you in ways you know? And what is most dangerous, how, what you do not know. We're continually being formed into something or to someone's likeness. We have to, we have to take control of our minds. And, and what Paul is telling us here is that while it's our worship is offering our bodies. It's initiated in our minds. And if that's the case, then our minds need to be controlled by Jesus through his word. We listen to news. We listen to podcasts. We listen to social media feeds. Uh, those that just fill our minds. In fact, if you were to find me running these days, you'll find me with, an, you know, I'm, I'm listening to something. I'm listening to a podcast and I even had to think, I'm like, okay, even though I believe it's good information, is it information that I need to be putting into my mind, right? I may be listening to a sermon. Uh, what is it that I'm putting in my ears? Am I listening to people grump about this political party or that political party? Am I reading feeds that are filling my mind? Paul knew that the entry to you from whatever and whoever starts in our minds. As we think, we are. So as followers of Jesus, it's so vastly important that we, we know what we're thinking. We know what we're giving ourselves to. We want to reflect Jesus, but if our minds and our bodies are not being filled with the word of God, we're not dwelling with him. It's interesting in John 8, 31 and 32, we often read this, this scripture, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We sometimes have it connected to the other part of it, but it's 
this front part that really caught me. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is all, he's connecting this idea that your mind, if you hold to my teaching, if you think about what I've taught you, not only in your mind, but how you should behave and how you should live, then you will be set free. In meditating and memorizing scripture, we are not only following the commands found within them, but we're employing the deeper reality of the power of those words to combat the lies the enemy says about ourselves, about culture, about God, about political climates, about who our real enemy is. When we harness God's truth in our minds through meditation and memorization, it becomes both realized and an embodied experience. That's why Paul says, look, offer your bodies, but let's start with your mind. Because when we start with our mind, then we can, we can have an experience. We can engage fully in what Jesus is calling us to. See, without the practice of memorizing scripture, the enemy can deceive us and thwart the truth and in turn, the good things that God has for us. God has great things for us. Memorizing scripture trains us to learn what the voice of God sounds like and for the follower of Jesus, friends, it is necessary for the kingdom life. It is necessary for the kingdom's life. Life in the kingdom. Last week, we talked about this scripture. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. We are to allow ourselves to dwell within the, the boundary, if you will, of God's word to us. We have to reflect on this a little bit. There's no doubt that scriptures played a central and a central role both in Jesus' life and his ministry. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, what do we see? He He's, he's in the wilderness and he defends himself against the evil one's advances by reaching back into scripture he had memorized in the Torah and giving it back. The study and knowledge of the scriptures for Jesus measured far beyond academia to a more personal and compelling reality. All throughout his life and ministry, we see him use them in relationship to teaching, interacting with teachers and the Pharisees of the day, his disciples, and as I just mentioned, Satan himself. For Jesus, it seems, scripture was not as much, was not as much a tool, instrument, or a weapon as part of how he viewed and he interacted with both God and the world. I mean, when we come to understand that Scripture is the way we can learn the voice of Jesus, but then we can see the world, it becomes integrated to who we are. Both from a historical knowledge of, of, a, rabbi, of a rabbi's to the account we're given here in the Gospels, we know that the integration of Scripture in Jesus' life was paramount to his work with his disciples and those around him. 
If that's the case with, if that's the case with Jesus and we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, follow after him, we need to practice and pattern ourselves after his ways. For the disciple of Jesus, some of the greatest transformation we will experience takes place amongst the thoughts in our minds first. What you think will shape what you believe, and ultimately that will shape what you live into. That's why the New Testament, Paul tells us to renew our minds. A renewed mind leads to a transformed life. Throughout history, church history, disciples of Jesus have pressed into the practice of knowing scriptures and more specifically of putting to memory the truths found in the pages of the Bible. And so this morning, it really is a mechanics of just memorizing scripture. I wish it was something more profound, but that is profound. It's incredibly life-changing and altering to who we are. So we're going to walk through just a few mechanics of what that looks like. In our next steps, scripture memorization techniques. Some of you are going to go, really? And that's the whole point. Really? Yeah. Anybody know what these are called? Yeah, index cards. They're crazy. They're so cool. Guess what you can do with them? Scripture memorizing. Yep, it's an amazing thing. This is a pen. And you can take a pen and you can, you can write your scripture on there. And guess what you can do? Like buddies of mine used to do when I'd sit next to them at, uh, at conference events. They'd pull out, their, especially if they're bored, and they'd pull out their cards and they would just go through their memorization. They're incredible, powerful tools. Now, I get it. Some of us have other tools at our, at our fingertips and we can get to those in a second. So you can, you can take index cards and write your verse. Very, very mechanical, but uh, very good, good method. Uh, if you have a phone, which I don't have mine on me right now, but if you have a phone, most of us know how to record verses or record ourselves. I mean, right? We have a record option. We can record ourselves and record the verses, and guess what? We can listen to those, listen back to those, and we can then uh, we can share them, right? So we can record ourselves. We listen to the verses. We can make it visible. Now, I had Kathy do this for me so that it was legible. Uh, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. But when, when we want to make something visible, we can put it anywhere. You can, put it, uh, you can have a sandwich board in your house if you want. I, that's up to you. But you can put them on your mirror and lipstick. You can put them on your refrigerator. You can put them on your dashboard. The point is putting them places where you'll look and you'll go, oh, that's the verse for this week or this month or whatever it may be. And then guess what happens? You bring it to the dinner table. And you begin to talk, hey, how did this first play out this week or today or did it? You know, one of the things that uh, I, I knew probably a long time ago was really good is just repetitive writing. So <clears throat> a few months ago, we went through a fasting exercise here as a church family. And one of the exercises in it was writing out the scripture, not just once, but every single day. Now, there's a couple of things that happens with uh, repetitive writing. So not only are you memorizing, but there's something that happens to the mechanics of using your pen on a piece of paper. There are some professors who will, that to this day, they'll ban electronics because they believe in this technique. But there's something that happens when you start to write things out. 
You literally write them with your hand. It not only allows you to memorize them, but there's something that happens in your soul. There's something that starts to take place in your soul, and the scripture starts to take root. At least it does for me. I'm just telling you. And it's an incredible little exercise. Sometimes I do it before, uh, a, you know, the message of the week. I'll just sit down and write it out, you know, and I'll go back and write it again. There's something mechanical for me that works in that that helps me to remember. And then rep- repetitive re- recitation. You know, just, just repeating it over and over again. You can, you can repeat it to somebody and have them repeat it back. There are so many, so many memorization techniques. It's just, it's just going through. It's just mechanics of learning the scripture and putting it in there. Now, what scripture you should, you should learn, that's really up to you. I, I think, actually, uh, the one that's surrounding this one is, is a great one in Colossians 3. It's just a great place to just kind of dwell in. And all of a sudden now, after a month of just kind of I'm, I'm not even suggesting you should, should do, uh, you know, one a week. What if you just memorize one verse a month and you lived in that verse and it started to kind of just come back through? I'm not even asking you to memorize a chapter or a book, which some people do. But allowing a verse of Scripture to so entangle it around your heart, not just your mind, but your heart, to change the way you think, what you do, what you say, where you go, is an incredible, incredible thing. We want to be deeply formed by Scripture. If Jesus was deeply formed by Scripture, we want to be deeply formed by Scripture too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I thank you for the word of God. Whether we memorized as kids John 3.16 or Psalm 23, or the Shema, Lord, those are embedded in our hearts and they're embedded in our minds. As scripture has promised you have that ability, Holy Spirit, to bring those forward when we need them, when they're most appropriate. Lord, would you, would you guide us into the, the mechanics, really, of memorization? But even as a a few of us were praying yesterday for some other things. Lord, I'm reminded that a, a suggestion from a platform like this can become some of our patterns for a moment. But these are patterns and practices that need to become ours for a lifetime. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you, would you stir up a hunger for your word in us? Whether it's memorization or just reading but would you stir up a hunger and allow allow the beauty of Scripture to be seen in our walk with you. We want to be, we want to be like the man or woman who is the tree planted next to the rivers of life. 
whither leaves never wither. Because you have fed us deeply from your word. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being the word of God, living and active, desiring us to have life and life abundant. And as Paul said, to, to know the right, right way to live, to test it and know. Thank you, Jesus.